Praise God and good morning, Return Church. Give me a hallelujah. Come on, somebody put your hands together. Come, oh, come on. There you go. Thank you, Kitty. You know what? If y'all were clapping for me, that would be okay. Put your hands together for Jesus. Come on, clap, clap for Jesus. Give him praise because he's worthy. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. In fact, if y'all were clapping for me, that would, be more, that would have been way more than enough the first time. But Praise God. Isn't he worthy? Amen. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you love his word? How many of you love your brother? How many of you need help loving your brother? Come on Wednesday night. Come on Wednesday. Come this Wednesday. We, we got into a really good discussion uh, this past Wednesday about how we relate to each other, how, how we get along. How, how many of you have somebody that gets, gets on your nerves? We talked about that Wednesday night. And you know what Jesus requires of us? He requires that we love them. Amen? Amen. That we get over it. Amen? And that we love them. How many of you got somebody sitting in the room that gets on your nerve? No, never mind. <laughs> I won't go there. Amen. We're going we're gonna to get into the Word of God. New, new series starting today called Thy Word. How many of you love the Word of God? Amen. How many of you really love the Word of God? By the time we get done with this series, you're really, really, really going to love the Word of God. I plan to preach through this uh, series through, through Christmas. We're going to be talking about God's Word. Uh, main, main scripture, I think, for this is Psalm 119. 176 verses in our Bible. And I'm reading Psalm 119 like never before. I've read Psalm 19 every day for almost two weeks now. And it is just coming alive to me. It is a powerful, powerful passage of scripture. 176 verses. Does anybody know why there's 176 verses in that psalm? It's because there's 22 divisions of eight. This is one of the most masterfully written pieces of literature on the planet. Psalm 119. It is uh, an acrostic with the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each of the um, sections, tw 22 sections of eight verses, is based on that, uh, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Every verse in each section starts with that letter. It's masterfully written. And it's a hymn, it's a song, amen, that was sung about God's word, exalting God's word. Today we're going to talk about the two streams. There, there are uh, two streams, and we're going to find out what exa exactly that means today. But there are two streams that flow out of Eden, flow from the Garden of Eden, and you are swimming in one of those streams or the other. So we're going to look in Psalm 119. I'm just going to read a, a couple of verses here out of Psalm 119. And again, this, this has just come alive to me. Um, really, one of the, the verses out of this chapter, and I can't remember exactly which, which verse it is, but out of this 119th Psalm that really has impacted me, it says that, that uh, tears flow down my, my cheeks like rivers because men do not obey your commands. 
That's just powerful. When's the last time you were broken over the sinfulness of man? Over lost humanity? Over those who've gone astray? When you see the wickedness of mankind upon planet Earth? You know, so often we blame God for all the tragedy on this planet. Really, it's the wickedness of man. Corruption. We, we could feed every human being on the planet if it weren't for the wickedness of man. We could take care of the poor on this planet if it weren't for the wickedness of man. When's the last time your heart broke over the wickedness of mankind? Psalm 119, I want to begin with reading a couple of these verses. Verse 97. And this is really the heart, I think, of this series of messages, for me anyway. David writing, or the psalmist writing, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. How I love your word. It is my meditation all the day. Do you, and I want you to ponder this, do you really love the law of God, the word of God? And there are about eight words in Hebrew that are used throughout this, about, and, and they're translated as statutes, commands, the law, the word. There are several different, but it, it's all referring to the word of God. It's referring, re- referencing the word of God. Do you love God's word? Do you truly love God's word? I was telling our, we have a huddle with our, our worship team and leadership before uh, the service every Sunday morning, and I was telling them this morning that uh, I, I've listened to probably about a dozen preachers this week preach on the 119th Psalm, various backgrounds, Pentecostal, Baptist, Presbyterian. I've, I've heard these men preach, and they've all had a consistent theme in their preaching. You can't really love Jesus and not love his word. You can't say that you truly love Jesus if you don't have a love for the word of God. I think Alistair Begg illustrated it beautifully. He, he told the story of, he said, I'm, I'm carrying a note in my pocket. He pulled the note out. And he said, this, this note was given to me by a young, uh, a young girl. And I've kept it in my pocket ever since she's uh, given it to me. I've carried it with me. And this note says in it, Alistair, my life is lonely without you. And I thought, what in the world is this little girl thinking? She's thinking she's going to marry me or something? Well, actually, she did. It was a note that his wife gave to him when they were just young children. And he carries it in his, part, in, in, in his, in his jacket he says, I keep it close to my bosom. It's a love letter from his loved one that he cherishes it, and he keeps it close to his bosom. And he talked about how God's word is a love letter to us, and we ought to cherish it the way that he cherished that, that note from his, from his darling. So there's, there's one verse. Another verse that I want to look at is Psalm 119. Verse 58, and here's where we find uh, an allusion to the second stream. It says, I, I see the treacherous and am disgusted. 
because they do not keep your word. There's a love on one side and a hate on the other in these two verses. A love for the, for the law of God, a love for the word of God, and a disgust, a disdain, a hatred for the way of the wicked. We find these two things in these two verses. Do you know what the middle verse of the Bible is? You, have to, you have to actually have to go back one chapter to Psalm 118, the eighth verse. This is the middle of Scripture. This is the heart of the Scripture. And here's what it says. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That's the heart of the Bible. This, this book is written to compel us to trust in the Lord. We have a decision that we're going to make. E- either we're, we're going to base our life on the rock of God's word or the smoke of man. Those talking heads, those professors, the philosophers, those men out there that are proclaiming themselves to be wise, they're blowing smoke. There's only really one true source of wisdom, and it comes from heaven. It's the Word of God. It's the only true source of understanding. It's the only true source of wisdom. Amen? So we have to make the decision. Will we put our confidence in the Lord, the rock of God, or are we going to trust the smoke of man? That's the decision that we have before us. We, we live in a very humanistic culture. Have you realized that? Secular, humanistic. America is a secular, humanist culture. Humanism is the denial of any power or moral value, value superior to humanity. Men are declaring that they've got it all together, that they've got all the answers. Our health professionals. In in all of this pandemic, you know what I'm wondering? When is our nation going to turn to God for an answer? The president is not going to give us an answer. The director of WHO or the NIH or any of these organizations don't have a remedy for these problems. When are we going to start asking God for answers? Amen? When are we going to start looking to God? But we, we are humanists, and we, we think that we can solve all. We, we think that we're more powerful than God these days. That, that's the reality. I'm, I'm wondering why I'm struggling to read here. And it's dawning on me. <laughs> Humanism is a philo- philosophical position that stresses the autonomy of human reason in contradistinction to the authority of the church and God's word. Here's a question for us to ponder. When are the people of God going to begin to put as much confidence in the church and the word as they put in the White House and the National Institute of Health or the university? There's the question. 
Ponder that. Think on that. Another, another psalm out of Psalm 119 that I, I want to share, and then we're going we're to get on our way here. We're going to look at the two streams. Psalm 119, verse 128, he says, Therefore all of your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. And he says, I hate every false way. The word of God compels us to love the truths of Scripture, to love the law, to love God's statutes, his commands, his words to us. And it compels us also to eschew, to despise, to disdain, and to hate every evil way. There are two systems in this world that are competing. They are at odds with each other. There is a conflict. It's the conflict of the ages. There is a warfare that's being waged between light and darkness. My mentor, Dr. Van Gill, he wrote about this great conflict, and this is what he says. He says, Revelation 12 informs us that conflict is the normal lifestyle of God's people. Taking me back to the words of Matt Bell when he was here, Pastor Matt Bell, when he talked about how we seem to be, as Christians, living as though we were in, in, in peacetime. When re- the reality is we are in a wartime. There is a conflict, right? There's a battle that's being waged. It says Revelation 12 informs us that conflict is the normal lifestyle of God's people. Again, it reminds me of the words of Jesus, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Dr. Gill goes on to write, he says, the dragon stood over the woman, the people of God, to devour, to devour the child to be born. The Greek verb tense is, is the imperfect, implying ongoing action. In other words, he he is pursuing the church. He is uh, attacking the church. He is an aggressor. It's this onward, uh, ongoing action of our adversary. And by the way, if we go back to this this psalm that we we read, Psalm 119, 128, where it says, I hate every false way. That word hate is to hate as an enemy or an adversary. We, we need to understand this. The ways of the world are not our allies. They are not our friends. They are hostile towards us. We need to think about evil, wickedness that we see in the world like we think about the adversary that's outside of our home. Think about that man that wants to break your door down and take all of your riches, all of your wealth, all of your goods, all of your valuables, all of your treasures. Not only that, but he he wants to come in to kill. He wants to rape. Think about an adversary like that. And that's wickedness on planet Earth. And yet we play with it. We entertain ourselves with it. In our music, in our movies, Video games, we can go down a whole long list. Not just talking about the ones where they're shooting at each other. All these other things of sexual wickedness, perversion, all kinds of evil things that we bring into our home and entertain ourselves. 
when the Bible is compelling us to eschew evil, to put it away from us, not even to speak of it. The Bible says we shouldn't even speak of the evil deeds of darkness. Yet that's what dominates our conversation in so many, so many instances. Think about it. There's a, this enemy that is trying to pursue us, trying to destroy us, trying to, to overwhelm us. This is sin. This is what sin is. It's an enemy. It's, it's not something to date for a while. It's not something to play with for a while, and then I'm going to get my life together. No, if you do that, if that's your mentality, it's going to consume you and destroy you. That's the reality. That's the reality. And going on, I'm going to get back to what Dr. Gill and try to read through this without preaching, preaching it. But he says, until the cross, Satan's mission was to eliminate the incarnation. So that's, that's what Satan really is, is ultimately all about, destroying God's plan. He illustrates this by saying, Egypt wanted to kill boy babies so the man-child would be eliminated. Assyria dispersed Israel, which was to delight, I'm sorry, dilute the Jewish race. Babylon tried to dilute the faith of the people of God and stop God's work. Persia, Persia had an attempt at genocide in Israel. Greece attempted diluting the worship and culture of Israel to stop the work of God. Rome tried to eliminate the incarnation by killing Jewish babies. See, this is all a picture of the work of our enemy trying to destroy the purposes of God. Dr. Gill goes on and says, please understand that the onslaught of political correctness and the redefining of, and, and by the way, Dr. Gill died about uh, five years ago. So this is written many, many years ago, actually. But he says, we need to understand that the onslaught of political, political correctness and redefining of cultural morals are meant by the dragon to overwhelm and sweep away the people of God. In response, we must stand firm. Church, we need to realize that we have an enemy. We have an adversary. We're acting as if we're in peacetime while he's wreaking havoc in our lives. He's pulling down our families. He's plugging up our ministries. He's hindering all the work that God's called us to do in every way that he can. And we're watching Monday Night Football. And listen, I'm, I'm not against entertainment. I'm not against football, sports, any of that kind of stuff. But the reality is, in reality, that, those are great idols, honestly, to most Christians. You know how we know that it's an idol? Because you say you don't have time to read your Bible, but you'll sit and watch six football games on a Saturday. Think about it. We were in our discipleship group on Tuesday night, one of the gentlemen said, Pastor, when do I, you're compelling us to study the Bible, when do I have time to study like this? So I said, here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow I want you to go and I want you to journal everything you do throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, I want you to go back and do an inventory. Because we don't realize how much time we squander. We say we don't have time for these things, but the reality is we just have not prioritized these things. That's the reality. We have to make God's word a priority. So there's a conflict. 
Okay, now I, I want to I show you origins of this. Can, can we do that? We're going to begin to talk about this. The, 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 the theme of this message is, is, is two streams. These two streams flow out of the Garden of Eden. Let's take a look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. There were two trees in the garden. Oh, there were many trees. There were two, two distinct trees that, that's, that, that, are, that, that are brought to distinction in the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. You think about this. Adam and Eve had access to the tree of life. God told them not to touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, what did they end up doing? But in reality, you know what? We do that almost every single day of our lives. We have access to the tree of life. We have access to Jesus. We have access to the mind of Christ. We have access to the, the word of God. And what do we do? We go over and we pluck the fruit off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life represents God's way. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The way of the world. Man's way. The way of demons, as we'll see as we progress. We choose human wisdom over the word of God. We choose Oprah and Dr. Phil. Fox News, thank you over the word of God, the university over the word, the White House over the word, human institutions over the word. We do it every single day of our lives. And most of us don't even realize it. Most of the time we don't recognize it. But that's the reality of what happens. Satan is tempting Eve here to partake of the tree that God said don't touch. And his promise is this, God doesn't want, this, or his enticement is this, he says, the reason God doesn't want you, hey, it's, I can see over here, and I'm also out of the camera, <laughs> but I can see. So, so what, what, what happens is he's enticing her with this, this promise that if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be able to discern good and evil. How many of you know that in Jesus we have all discernment? In Jesus, she had everything. In that tree of life, in her communion with God, in her fellowship with God, she had everything that she needed. But what, what did she, she do? See, here, here's what original sin really has to do. Original sin has to do with this. It's, it's making a judgment that says, I know more than God. That was the, the original sin. God has said this, 
but I'm going to go ahead and do this. I know better than God. That's original sin. That's the reality of what Adam and Eve were doing when they partook of that fruit. God told us this, but we're going to go ahead and do this. Think about that. So here, here are the two streams that, that re- they, they really originate out of Eden. The two streams can, can come under these two headings. God has said. That's the first. And then you know what Satan does? He puts the question mark on it, and he says, has God said? You know what I've learned to do? I've learned to reject every voice that puts a question mark on the word of God. Make a cold-hearted decision to reject every voice that puts a question mark on God's word. Because the reality is, those are the, the streams that we have to choose from in life. We're either going to take God at his word, God has said, I believe it, that settles it, or wait a minute, has God said? Is God really that wise? That he didn't want me to eat this fruit? What in the world was it that, I, I wonder this, and, and like I say, when I get to heaven, I'm not gonna ask God, because I'll understand probably at that point, but I, I ponder this all the time. Why in the world did Adam and Eve think that they knew better than God? What was it in their minds? What, I mean, where did they just go off course? What was it that compelled them to do that? I mean, they, had a, they, they were in, in Eden. They were in God's garden. They walked with God. They talked with God every day. They had a perfect life. But they chose to, to sin against God. They chose to go their own way. So these are the two streams. I'm going to give you a couple more passages of, of Scripture, and then we're going to spend some time praying together. Second passage of scripture that I want to look at, it it really brings this to life. It's actually in James, James chapter uh, 3. It shows us, it makes this distinction, the way of God over the way of man. The word of God, the will of God, the thoughts of God, the intent of God over the words, will, thought, and intent of man. James talks about it. God's wisdom and the wisdom of the world. He said, who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness and of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So that, that's, that's a picture of the, the, the wisdom of this world. Then in verse 17 he says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, I, I, I like this part right here, open to reason. I want to just, we talked about how meditation is chewing the cud. I want to chew this cud right here for a minute. I want us to see la. Think about this. Open to reason. We Christians tend to be the most unreasonable human beings on the planet. 
We have our little dogmas and our mindsets and we get entrenched in them and we refuse to have any cordial conversation with anybody who disagrees. I'm talking about in church circles. I'm not even talking about the way the world disagrees. I'm just talking about where we get our little pet doctrines and we get entrenched in them. We take one little scripture about a hairdo and, and write books on it. And we get entrenched and we get totally unreasonable. There, there should be in our belief system a reasonableness. I mean, one of, the, one of the Proverbs says, come and let us reason together. You know the process of iron sharpening iron? You know what that is? It's reasoning the word of God until we come to a better understanding of truth. That's what the process of iron sharpening. I, used to, I learned probably as much in the dormitories as I did in the classrooms in Bible college because we would get in those dormitories and we would reason. We would iron sharpening iron kind of conversations. One of my favorite things to do in the dormitory was I, I knew who believed in predestination, or you know, pick, pick a doctrine. <laughs> who was an Arminian, who was a Calvin, Calvinist, who, who, who tended to, uh, to, to lean, lean towards uh, pre-trib and post-trib. And I would get them in the same room, I'd throw a little nugget out there for them to start ch- chomping on, and I'd watch them argue, and I'd just step back and watch them go. Sometimes I would jump in there. I, I know somebody would have a certain belief system. They came from a certain church and they believed a certain way and I would, I would take the, the counter position and start a debate with them. And it, it wasn't done maliciously. You know, we, we, we never got angry at each other. But you know what we did? We learned through an iron, a process of, of, of iron sharpening iron. Listen, if your doctrine can't stand the test of debate, how, how strong is your doctrine? Amen. Amen? There ought to be a reasonableness about us as believers. It says that, that the wisdom that comes from above is reasonable. Open, it's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's a lot of that. I mean, we could could do a whole sermon series just right there on that passage. But but what I want to show to you is that here in this passage again, we see those two streams. Two streams. The the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world. We could say it's the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of demons. It's it's a demonic, it it calls it right there. It says it's it's sensual, sensual, it's carnal. Right? And, and we Christians rely too much on carnal wisdom. We elevate carnal wisdom oftentimes above the wisdom of God. God's word is the final authority. God's word to us as believers has preeminence. Even when we can't understand it. Even at times when it doesn't make sense to us. We need to embrace it for what it is. The wisdom of God, the truth of God. And when we don't understand it, pray for revelation. You know that God delights in revealing these things to us. He does. I I believe that when we sit down to read our Bibles and, and revelation begins to pop in our minds, I believe that God's heart delights 
because we're coming to a knowledge of truth. We're coming to know him and his character and who he is as we read his word. That's what it is. Dr. Gill used to say this all the time, that the promises of God are windows through which we see his character. As you read the scripture, we see the character of God revealed to us, the nature of God. We find out exactly who Jesus is as we read this book. Amen? It's good stuff. Last passage of scripture, I think. No, this will be the last one. Last passage of scripture is Hebrews chapter 5. We're teaching a little bit this morning. That's all right. We need this. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. I, I alluded to this passage of Scripture. And Paul, Paul's been teaching these, these, these are Jews that want to go back to Judaism. They want to get back to the law and the Levitical system. They want to start act, they're, they're thinking about, because they've been persecuted for their Christian faith, they're actually thinking about going back to the system of sacrifice. Levitical priesthood putting their faith back in the Judaic system. And Paul's trying to compel them, no, continue in Jesus. We've got a better thing in Jesus. So he's been talking about the, 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 the priesthood of Melchizedek, that, that whenever Jesus uh, arrived, it wasn't after the order of the Levitical priesthood that's been fulfilled in Christ, and now he is a priesthood that, that is after the, the, the priesthood of, of Melchizedek. And he's, he's been teaching on this, and then he says, hold on a second, I don't want to lose you. I would really love to go a whole lot deeper in this, but honestly, you're a bunch of babies. That's what Paul's saying here in this passage. You're not mature enough for me to actually teach what I want to teach. And so this is where we'll pick it up, verse 11, Hebrews 5, 11, he says, of whom we have much to say, hard, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. What if I got up here on Sunday morning and said, good morning, you deaf people. Y'all are so spiritually dull. I mean, that's the way Paul's, I think it's Paul. Other people think other people, somebody else wrote this. Whoever wrote this, he's speaking to his congregation saying, y'all are a bunch of dull, deaf people. See, y'all like me a lot more now because I never called you dull, deaf, dumb, anything like that. That's the way Paul's speaking to him. He said, you're, you're dull of hearing. For, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who are mature, that is, those who by reason of, look at this, by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So a couple things that I want to do here with this passage. First of all, he talks about this, the, the word, as, as food. And he says, you're so immature, you've got whiskers, but you're drinking from the bottle. You've come to church for 20 years, but you can't find Ezekiel in your Bible without going to the table of contents. You've been a Christian so long, but you don't understand the basic foundations 
of the Christian faith. And you have need that someone would feed you. He says, and Peter says this, as, as newborn babes, we should desire the sincere milk of the word. But here he's talking about moving on from being a, a newborn babe to being mature, those who are of full age. See, our, this is a walk. It is a journey. And we're supposed to be making progress. We're supposed to be growing in our Christian faith. Not, you, you shouldn't stay where you started. You shouldn't have to come every Sunday and say, Pastor, stick the bottle in my mouth. No, you've got to learn to chew the meat for yourself. Like, let's, let's talk about something that I like. Let's, let's talk about tacos. I love tacos. I got a friend, when we were in Minnesota, and by the way, it's a good day to be in southern India. They got five inches of snow in Minnesota last night, so it's a good day to be in Indiana. But I got a friend up in, in, in uh, Minnesota. He had a, uh, started this restaurant right across the street from our church. And so I, I went there once, twice, three, four, five times a week for tacos. Don't tell my wife. Some of the best tacos. I finally found good tacos in Minnesota. This guy was making some good tacos. He gave me a shirt that said, when, when, when I moved, when we were leaving, it was our, our last day, we went in there to get tacos, and Pastor Kurt said, hey, Paul, Chad, Chad's leaving us, and so he said, hold on a second, he went back to the storeroom, and he brought me out a t-shirt, and it says, feed me tacos and tell me I'm beautiful. <laughs> so what if, what if I said to you, hey, do you wanna go get some tacos? Your response would not be, no, I've had tacos before. Do you want to read this passage? I've read it before. How come we treat the word of God like that? Right? See, it's, it, it, what, because the reality is you don't eat like for some one-time experience, and then once you've done it, it's done. When, when you eat, it's for nourishment. Your, your body needs that daily nourishment. I mean, I can, I can eat tacos every single day, but the reality is I eat for nourishment. The same is true spiritually. When we don't feed on the word of God, and I'm not talking about coming to church on Sunday morning and listening to your, your pastor preach. I'm not talking about occasionally listening to your favorite preacher or listening to some song that mentions the scripture. I'm talking about getting into the word for yourself on a regular basis. Some of y'all can't get out of bed without a donut. But you can go for months without ever picking up your Bible. Right? We can't make it through a day without food. Right? You know, you know why that is? We are full. We're full. We're full of other things. Here, here's a, a, a fact of life. It's a natural fact. And I mean, you know, that a lot of times what's true in the natural is true in the spiritual. Here's a natural fact. You crave the foods that you eat. 
I crave tacos. Why, because I feed myself tacos. Back in the day, this is going back, when we, when we started our church, we started a practice where every year we would, we would lead our church through a fast. We'd do 21-day fast or 40-day fast or whatever, but we would, we would lead our church through a season of fasting every single year down in Texas. We did this the first year we started the church. And, and when, when we started doing this, I had I'd fasted a day or two here and there, but I had never been on an extended fast. And I got this notion that I'm gonna go on a 40-day fast. Seven days of Daniel, three days of solid fasting, seven days of Daniel fasting, so 10, ten day cycles for 40 days. Now you, you, you think about this, I was, a, I was a construction guy, I drove from job to job, I ate Jack in the Box, y'all know Jack in the Box up here? Jack in the Box, Big Macs, tacos, uh, stop and go, hot dogs, whatever I could, whatever I could grab on the run. What was, whatever was on the way to the next job is what I ate. Thank you. The Big Gulp, the candy bar, the Twinkies, the Ding Dongs, all, all, the, all the good stuff. That was, my, that was my diet. So when I'd been working on a job site for a long time, guess what I craved? Fast food and stop and go. Because that's what I fed myself. And, I, and I'm, I'm a bivocational bi, bi pastor. I'm, I'm pastoring the church. I'm doing construction. We're on this 40-day fast, so I'm packing celery sticks in my, in my car. So I have them on the job site. Bananas. Daniel fast, right? All fruits and vegetables. So I'm putting fruit and vegetables, and I'm hating it. I'm a man who does not like celery. I don't like to eat bananas. I don't like anything crunchy, nothing fruit. It's got to be grilled and deep fried. That's my diet. That's what I crave. And I start eating this food for 40 days. Do you know what happened after we broke that fast? I was at work one day, and celery popped into my mind. <laughs> True story. You know why? My appetites had changed. So you, you crave what you feed yourself. You don't realize it, but you're feeding your spirit man with Fox News, CNN, soap operas, movies. For the philosophy of man, Oprah. Is Oprah even on TV anymore? I think she's got her network. I don't know if she has a show. But you can go on there on Oprah and tell a man who is, and hear a man who is quote unquote a preacher. I know this. He's on the Oprah network. He calls himself a Christian preacher but denies the validity of Scripture. So you can go on the O network and you can, the Oprah network or whatever it's called, and you can consume that kind of stuff. And as long as you're feeding on that stuff, you will never have an appetite for this book. That's a reality. There are two streams. There are two sources. God has said, or has God said? The reality is there are only two worldviews, period. Now there's lots of worldviews, but they all fit into one of two categories. You see, Islam is the doctrine of the world. It's not in the way of Jesus. Buddhism. Greek philosophy, Shintoism, Scientology, 
all of these worldviews, all of these isms, you know what it is? It's putting a big question mark on the word of God. It strikes at the validity of scriptures. Church, we need our love for God's word renewed. You know what you need to do? You need to fast all of that garbage, all of that junk food that you have been consuming, and you need to consume the word of the, of the Lord. I, I can't remember exactly the, the way it was worded, but during our worship, I think it was Shannon, she said something about, about taking a drink or um, being refreshed with the water. I, I forgot exactly how it was worded, but an, another analogy in Scripture for the word is, is water. It is water for a thirsty soul. When we sit down to the word, we are drinking the life of God into our spirit. It is water. There's a natural, natural phenomenon that when, whenever you are dehydrated, whenever you haven't gotten enough water, you know what happens? You actually begin to sweat. You'd think that your body would, would uh, you know, actually do the opposite to preserve water since we have to have water to exist right but you actually begin to sweat and when you are dehydrated and you sweat there is a, a pheromone that is let out you know what that does it attracts predators i was at the capitol united states capitol with my family a couple weeks ago dc we we took a picture there at the capitol and I, it was interesting to me there were there were buzzards circling over the i don't know what that means but they were circling. See, when you're dehydrated, you're close, close to death, your body begins to emit this pheromone and the predators know that death is near and they begin to circle. Some of you are wondering why the devil's always hanging around. Could it possibly be that you are dehydrated, dehydrated Christian, that you are not full of the word of God, that you are on spiritual life support? You have to come in here every Sunday morning and we give you CPR so you can make it through another week. So I wanna challenge you, I'm done. I wanna challenge you though. We looked at, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things Last week, you need to do with the word of God. I've added a new one. I want to challenge you to go home and to read the word of God. Number one, read the word of God. Number two, hear the word of God. Play it. Play it on an app off your phone, or it, maybe you have the old CDs. I, I used to have a, the Bible on CD, and I'd put it in my truck and play it going down the road. Hear the word of God. Write the word of God. I wrote some of these scriptures out in my notes as an exercise this week because I want to get it in my heart. Write the word of God. Copy the word. Go see Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, where he talks about the king copying the word of God and keeping it at his side so he could rule well. Here's a, here's a new one. Speak the word. We need to make it a regular practice to speak and declare God's word. If you're sick, declare, by his stripes, we were healed. Right? If you're broke, declare, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. 
If you're feeling guilty, you need to declare that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to realize that God's word is just as powerful in our mouth when we say it the way that he meant, when, when, when we mean it the way that he meant it. I believe that. God's word is powerful. Amen? So we need to speak the word of God. It's powerful in your mouth. Declare God's word over your family. Declare God's word over your ministry. Declare God's word over your church. Declare God's word over your loved ones. Declare God's word over your job, over your vocation, over your business. Declare the words of the Lord. I want to challenge you to study God's word like never before. I want to challenge you to memorize God's word. I want to challenge you to meditate on God's word. You can't meditate on it if you haven't memorized it. You got to put it in here so you can think about it. And, and, and there's a powerful thing that happens. When you begin to study God's word, when, you, when it gets on the inside of you, when it's memorized and you have literally taken it, and it, I believe it becomes what's called the engrafted word of God. And you know what happens? That begins to change your thought process. No longer are you thinking, Dr. Phil said this, the psychologist said this, my shrink said that, my wife said this. But your thoughts begin to get dominated by what God has said. Amen? You start thinking about issues like racism, and then scriptures begin to bounce around in your mind. Justice, scriptures begin to bounce around in your mind. Right? How, how do you get along with the brother? You've got an answer for that. Right? Because the word of God's in your heart. And it begins to dominate your thoughts and you begin to meditate. You're not sitting around going, omena, 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 Psalm 1. <laughs> no, meditating is like when, when the word of God just comes to mind. You're driving down the word and you start contemplating, what does Psalm 1 mean in my life? Meditate on God's word. And then lastly, I want to challenge you to keep God's word, to do God's word. I heard a, a wise preacher say one time, when it, when it comes to study of God's word, when it comes to digging into God's word, if you rake, you'll get leaves, but if you dig, you'll find treasure. We've got a lot of rakers You rake. Your, your idea of getting some of the word is hearing a nice praise and worship song. You're a raker. You're a raker. You show up at church and listen to half of the message. It's not really a priority. I'd rather stand out in the foyer and talk to my friends. You're a raker. Do me a favor. Get your Bible out. Let's just do an exercise. If you've got a, if you've got a, a paper-bound Bible... Hold it up. Let's do this. Good. Awesome. How many of you are on your iPad or your phone? Raise your iPad or your phone. <laughs> I want to encourage you. Get a Bible. If you don't have one, I've got a pile of them in my office. I'll find one and give it to you today. I mean, you, you, you can leave church with a Bible. We've got, we've got Bibles stored in the storeroom we'll give you. Get a Bible. Bring it to church. Make notes in it. Highlight underline. It's okay to write in this book. Amen. You, God's not going to keep you out of heaven if you write in here, I promise. If he, if he does, I'm in trouble. <laughs> study. 
dig. Go back and rehearse. Go back and read through the scriptures you hear on a Sunday morning. Reread them. I don't know where to start. How about rereading the scriptures? Go and find and read around those scriptures and get some context to what it's talking about. Go and study. Go and dig. If you rake, you're going to have a bag of leaves. If you'll dig, you'll have a pile of treasure. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Rach, can you come and help me? Here's what I'm going to do. If you need to go home, if you need to go to work, if you've got something to take care of, we understand you're dismissed. God bless you. There's the dismissal. If you want to worship for a minute, if you need prayer, because I just feel compelled to do this. This is not the way we normally do things here, but I just feel compelled to do this. If you need to get down on the altar, I want you to come down to this altar. This is not normal, but I feel like this is the way we need to end today's service. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. I just feel compelled to lead some of you through this prayer. If you would be honest and say, I have truly been half-hearted about being dedicated to read God's word, to study God's word. I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and I want you to pray this in your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm sorry for being apathetic and half-hearted towards your word. And today I repent. Lord, I commit to open my Bible every day. I commit to read the scriptures. I commit to study, to dig, to grow in your word. Father, I pray that it, as we read your word, that you would illuminate the truth to our understanding. Help us to grow in the knowledge of you. Help us to grow in the revelation of your truth. Father, help us to love your word and to eschew the evil way, to despise it, to disdain it, Lord God. Father, that we would decide, make a determination, we're gonna flow in the river of your truth, in your spirit, in your will, in your way. Father, help us. Help us today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Rachel's going to lead us in a song. Sing along with us. If you need prayer, if, you need, if you've got sickness in your body, if you want to get saved today, if you need to be delivered and set free from any kind of addiction, if you need the Lord's help and in your life in any way, if you've got a financial crisis going on, whatever it is, and you need prayer, you need ministry, I want you to come down to this altar as we worship today. And you are dismissed if you need to go. Sorry, Steve, for spoiling your... Yeah, and if you have an offering, don't forget to put it in the box. But let, let's, let's spend some time worshiping if you, if you would stick around. Majesty.